Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Hey everyone, it is Andrew here, lead pastor at Mountain Park Church. I'm so excited to spend this next little bit of time with you. Today we are in our 20th week or our 20th part in our study of the book of Ephesians, and it's been an amazing journey so far. Today, I um, just really pray that you're challenged. I really pray that uh, what we discover about God's Word, that it's transformational for you. I believe that Jesus can change your life, and He can change my life, and I believe that a deeper understanding of His Word can literally set us on a new course. And so, if it's okay with you, wherever you're driving, um, however you're watching or listening to this, I would love to pray with you. If you are driving, don't take your eyes off the road. <laughs> you can pray with your eyes open too. So uh, let's just uh, pray together as we get started. Father, we do humble ourselves before you, and we just declare the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ over our lives. We renounce anything we've relied on or looked to two that is opposed to you and your truth. Father, in Jesus' name, if there's anything even present right here and right now that opposes your name or your presence or your will over our lives, we command it to be bound. We cut off its influence and we tell it to go to the presence of Jesus for his judgment and determination. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring us new revelation and insight today from the Word of God, that it would be transformative for our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start today in Ephesians 3, verse 11 and 12 are going to be the verses that are our key verses, but I'm going to start reading in Ephesians 3, verse 8. So if you have a Bible, grab it, open it up. If you've got this on your phone, pull it out and follow along with me. Ephesians 3, 8 says, and this is Paul writing, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. All right, so that's what we covered last week. You can listen to that if you want to, this week, verse 11. This is according, so the this is everything we just read about. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is referencing again this lofty, majestic idea. He keeps coming back to this idea that God has had a purpose all along. This idea that all through history, through time, from every empire that's ever existed and every king and ruler and everyone who's ever lived on the earth, that God has had a purpose that's been working under the surface this whole time, that everything um, in this world is being worked out according to his purpose. Paul mentions to us in Ephesians chapter 1 a little bit more detail of what that purpose is. Ephesians 1 verse 9 says this, God speak, um, this is God, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, 
that he purposed in Christ. Same words, same language, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ. So this is the purpose and plan of God, to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. All right, so God's had this plan ever since, um, you know, eternity past. Paul has been talking about it because in this book of Ephesians, this is a master class from Paul in this reality that we live in a spiritual realm and a natural realm, that these two realms, they coexist together, that they're interwoven between each other. You can't separate them. What Paul is saying here and uh, what he's arguing here is that God has had this plan, and this plan is not only impacting the spiritual realm, but this plan was meant to impact our natural realm as well. And Jesus is the focal point of this plan. It was God's eternal purpose to actually, you know, bring Jesus to the earth um, to do what Jesus did for a purpose and a reason. And uh, number one in that is uh, the number one purpose of God was to reclaim dominion and rule on the earth. So the first thing that Jesus came to do was to reclaim the dominion and rule that was lost. This is how Paul describes this in Colossians. He, this is speaking of God, erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. Jesus said this in John 12, 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus also speaking, says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So what are they talking about? They're talking about the reality that when Jesus stepped foot on the earth, when he was born as a man, when he incarnated himself, when he came to earth, the earth was not under the legal jurisdiction, the rule of God. It was under under the rule of the kingdom of darkness and the devil. To get a better understanding for this, we need to look back at the very first chapter of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. This is um, where we see sort of the original idea of God, the original plan and purpose of God, and the reason that he had to send Jesus to fulfill his original plan and purpose. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule, so you could circle that, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So the original purpose, the original design of God was that he would have a human family. God already had a spiritual family that he had made. We don't know when that took place, but God already had a spiritual family. God was designing and desiring to create a human family. And this human family he was going to place on the earth and ask this human family to rule the earth on his behalf. This earth was to be the domain of man, but the domain of man intersecting with God, walking in the authority and the dominion and the rule of God. The 
earth, the whole earth was to be the Lord's earth to rule. And we, God's um, human family, were meant to be those who exercise the rule and dominion of God on the earth. Psalm 8, 3 to 8. This is what David says in Psalm 8, 3 to 8. I'm just going to turn there real quickly. Psalm 8, 3 to 8 says this. David says this, When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, and the moon and stars, which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything, circle that, everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the sea. So David is highlighting the reality that when God created man, he created man to rule, to carry the rulership authority and dominion of God on the earth, that the earth was to be sort of under the rule of God through humankind, through God's human family. So that word to rule means to govern, control, be in charge of, have a person or entity exercising authority over persons or entities. And so that was the role that God designed for us and created for us. Psalm 115, 16, the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the human race. Amazing. So God creates the earth, and it's beautiful. It's incredible. It's amazing. And he said, I'm going to create a human family, and I want that human family to not only be made in my image, but to express my rule and authority, my governing um, rulership on the earth. This was God's original plan. And Paul is saying that... that um, you know, Jesus had to come as the fulfillment of this plan because this plan was marred by sin in Genesis 3. Um, David also says in Psalm 8, 5, that you made him, speaking of humankind, a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. So we were made in God's image. We were crowned with glory and honor. That word for glory in the original Hebrew literally means weight or to become heavy or weighty. We were made to carry the weight of God's authority. That's the second component to this. So number one thing that, that Jesus needed to, to reclaim was the, the legal jurisdiction, the rulership of God on the earth. The second thing was the expression of the authority of God on the earth, the power to walk in the kingdom authority of God on the earth. And so that word for glory literally means weighty. And um, in today's um, language and the way that we would talk today, we would look at somebody who's like the CEO of a really successful company or a big company or somebody who's got a lot of responsibility, a lot of people that or, or um, you know, uh, things underneath them. And we'd say that that person carries a lot of weight. This is the same thing that God designed us to carry the weight of his glory, the weight of his authority. We were designed to carry the weight of his authority on the earth. Adam was given the charge. Eve was given the charge to carry the weight of God's authority 
on the earth. The Greek word for that word glory is doxa, and it literally means splendor, glory, brightness, shining, or radiance. When we were created in the image of God, we were created to not only carry the weight of God's authority, but we were made to reflect the nature and character and image of God. And I believe that in some way, um, you know, when the creatures looked at Adam and, and when Adam engaged with, with anything God had made, that those, those animals that he was given charge to name and to organize and all of that stuff, that they would look at him and see the image of God. They, they, they would see the glory of God, but they also understood that Adam carried the weight of authority to rule on behalf of God, to exercise the dominion and authority and the rule of God on the earth. In 1 Corinthians eleven seven, 7, Paul says that man is the image and glory of God. We are um, the living, breathing, walking kind of examples, the, the manifestation of God's authority on the earth, of his image and his character. And this is what God has intended and what Jesus came to uh, recapture this purpose of God that Paul talks about, this purpose of God. Going all the way back to Genesis 1, Jesus came to reestablish that. The, um, uh, the reason that we were given this authority and this this weight is um, so that we, as God's human family, that we as his human family would exercise his will and desire on the earth. But the reality was that Adam sinned. And if you want to understand how big a deal this is to God, uh, just, just picture this, that not only did God give Adam the authority and the weight to exercise dominion and rulership and the authority of God on the earth, he also gave Adam the right to give it away. When Adam and Eve sinned, they, they gave the authority of the earth over to the devil and the kingdom of darkness, literally. So at that point, if I was God, I would have stepped in and said, no, no, hold on, let's hit a restart, let's hit the reset. I didn't mean for this to happen. I didn't want this to happen. This is not what I intended. I would have jumped in and done that, but God doesn't do that. He allows Adam to give away the whole earth the authority to rule on the earth away from God, away from God's people, away from humankind, God's human family, and transfer it to the devil in the kingdom of darkness. This is what Jesus recognized. When Jesus stepped foot on the earth, he recognized he was stepping foot into enemy territory. He recognized that the earth was not under the legal jurisdiction of God, but it was under an enemy occupying force. It was under the legal jurisdiction of the devil and the kingdom of darkness. Jesus said in John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. John 14, 30, Jesus said, I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming. He's no power over me. John 16, 11, and about judgment, Jesus said, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So Jesus recognizes that his purpose, that the purpose and plan of God from before you know, creation, all along, all along, God has been planning to recapture dominion and authority and rulership on the earth, and Jesus is the vehicle to do this. Ephesians 3.12 says, In him we have boldness 
and confident access through faith in him. The in him is in Jesus. Those two nouns for boldness and access access literally form sort of one concept together, and that's freedom of access. You know, your translation may say boldness, mine does in the CSB, and that's okay as long as we realize the boldness is not um, an arrogance or a bravado or cockiness to kind of strut into God's presence and say, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, Um, give me this, give me that. God, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. God, answer my prayer in this way, and I want my life to look this way. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about a, a conceited arrogance in God's presence. What he's talking about is a freedom of access, and it comes in two ways. Number one, we have the freedom to speak openly and frankly with God. We have the freedom to ask God anything. We have the freedom to talk to God in uh, with anything that's on our mind. And number two, not only do we have that freedom to speak to God, we have the access through Jesus Christ to come into his presence whenever we want to. That is the amazing thing that, that Paul is talking about in verse 12. So in verse 11, we see Paul reminding us that Jesus is the fulfillment of this plan, this purpose of God, and that because Jesus is the fulfillment of that, now we have access to the very presence of God that we can come to him with confidence. We can speak freely to God anytime we want because of what Jesus has done for us. We can approach him freely. Paul said in Ephesians 2, and this is a mystery to us, but Paul said in Ephesians 2 that um, we are, those who have given their lives to Jesus, those who have surrendered to Jesus, in the present tense, we are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. Yes, we're living on this earth. Yes, we exist in this reality, but there's a different reality, a supernatural and a spiritual realm. And right now, as we live and breathe in this reality, we're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. It's a, a something that is, is a mystery for us to fully wrap our head around. But I want to give you this picture because as Paul talks about access, what I believe Paul is referencing is prayer primarily. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but I want to give you um, this picture to help you from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah has this vision, and he has a vision of this heavenly scene that's happening in the courtroom or the throne room of God, rather, and it's in Zechariah 3, 1 to 7, where he says this. This is Zechariah speaking. Then he showed me the high priest Joshua, So Zechariah sees Joshua in this vision, standing before the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus. When the Old Testament uses that phrase, the angel of the Lord, it's always in reference to Jesus, with Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick? He's talking of Joshua, a burning stick snatched from the fire. Then he goes on to say, I'm just going to jump down to verse 6. Then the angel of the Lord charged Joshua. This is what the Lord of armies says. If you walk in my ways and keep my mandate. So hold on. Wait a minute. 
Zechariah is not having a vision of something that happened after Joshua died. He's having a vision right now of these two worlds. This is something spiritual that's taking place in the context of a present reality that Joshua's living in. I, I wonder if this is what was happening spiritually while Joshua was on the plains of Jericho getting ready to cross the Jordan River and getting ready to kind of overthrow the city of Jericho, Joshua has this encounter with the angel of the Lord of heaven's armies, and they have this exchange. I wonder if it was at that point that in this supernatural realm, there's this, this parallel reality happening, this parallel conversation happening where Jesus in the spiritual realm says to Joshua, if you will keep my mandates and be faithful to walk in my ways, you will rule my house and take care of my courts. So Jesus is literally saying in this spiritual realm in real time to Joshua, sometime before he, you know, was inaugurated to fully lead Israel or recognized to be their full leader, Jesus is saying, look, you will be given authority to rule the nation of Israel. This is a, a conversation happening in heavenly places in the spiritual realm. And not only that, um, you will be given the ability to take care of my courts. The last thing he says is staggering. I, I will also grant you access among those who are standing here. Joshua, I'm going to give you access into my very throne room. I'm going to give you access into the spiritual realm as you lead and lead the nation of Israel, as you go into battle, as you walk in faith, as you step into the promises of God. I'm going to give you access on the spiritual realm. Here's the amazing thing that uh, Paul is saying, because of Jesus, we have been given that same access, and that access is worked out through prayer. Our prayer life is the primary place where we access the throne room and the presence of God. We can come anytime boldly and with confidence before God because of Jesus and present ourselves to him the same way that Zechariah saw that thing happening in the heavenly places. It's amazing. Hebrews 4.16, therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Hebrews 10.19, therefore brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. This is uh, this amazing mystery that Paul is laying out for the Ephesians. You know, they, they were a group of people who served uh, a multiplicity of gods, but those gods never granted them access into their divine space. Never was that even an option. And Paul is saying, because of Jesus, we have the ability to come into the very throne room of God, to speak with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And prayer is the vehicle, I believe, that Paul was had in mind as he's teaching this. And what, what's the whole big idea with this anyway? I believe it's because God is waiting for people who are going to intentionally enter his presence so that God can then work on behalf of them to accomplish his will on the earth. I believe that God is waiting for people to be uh, in his presence in intimacy and, and, and steward his presence in prayer so that he can then work in and through them on their behalf on the earth so that he can accomplish what he has always wanted to accomplish.
John Wesley says it this way, God does nothing on the earth save an answer to believing prayer. Man, that is sobering, but I believe that scripture would lean in that direction, that God is waiting for people like you and I who have been given the access to his presence through Jesus Christ to come into his presence deliberately and put a high price and value on prayer in our life. This is what Paul says as he talks about his own pattern of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray constantly. Ephesians 1, 15, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. In the NLT, it says, I pray for you constantly. Philippians 1, 4, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Colossians 1, 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. 2 Timothy 1, 3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. When I constantly remember you, I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Paul, the greatest theologian, theologian that the earth has ever known. Paul is the, in my opinion, the greatest theologian ever. Paul is the greatest missionary probably ever. Paul, the one that God entrusted to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul, the apostolic leader who planted churches all over Asia Minor. Paul, this this towering uh, presence uh, uh, with preaching authority. God used him in miraculous ways to heal people and raise people from the dead. This Paul, this very Paul says, the undercurrent of my whole life, the foundation of it all is my constant prayer. I want to encourage you today. Maybe you are are sitting and going, you know what? I My passion is to study the word of God. I, I want to understand his doctrine and truth. I'm going to leave prayer to to somebody else. I'm going to leave that to the intercessors and prayer warriors. I believe Paul would say, you can't do that. You can't uh, propose to study and master the Word of God without spending time first in the presence of God. Prayer actually was the dominant part of Paul's ministry and his life, and his encouragement to us is that our lives would carry the same example, and we can't leave that to happenstance. Some of you listening go, well, I just pray all the time. I pray in the car, I pray at home, I pray when I'm doing my groceries, and that's fine. That's good. But Paul is talking about intentional, consistent, deliberate time that costs you something. You have to schedule it. This is what Daniel talked about when he prayed three times a day. This is what Jesus talked about when, and he modeled it when he would meet with God through the whole night. This is the kind of prayer that Paul is talking about. And the whole purpose of this is because somehow in this mystery, it's in our asking God. It's in, as we come into his presence, as we steward relationship with him. It's in our asking that he wants to release his work on the earth. James says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. He should, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church. And then James goes on to talk about Elijah. This is an amazing thing. He says, Elijah was a human being as we are and prayed earnestly. It would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Look at James is acknowledging and saying, look, God can do anything. 
God isn't limited by anything. He chose to work through Elijah. It's in our asking that God wants to release his kingdom on the earth. In uh, Daniel chapter 10, the angel that came and talked to Daniel said, from the moment you began praying, we heard you. From the moment you started praying, from the moment you entered your prayer closet, from the moment you stepped into the throne room of God, we heard you. Ezekiel 22, this is sobering. Ezekiel said, I, um, and he's speaking of God here, I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it, but I found no one. So I've poured my indignation out on them and consumed them with fire, uh, the fire of my fury. fury. I have brought their conduct down on their heads. Look at what God is saying here is, look, I am righteous I'm holy. I am a consuming fire. I won't stand for sin and indignation. I need to bring judgment up. But I was looking for someone who would pray, who would pray and uh, beseech me, who would stand in the gap and appeal to my love and my mercy and my justice. I'm looking for people who are going to go into the prayer closet and ask me to act on my love and my goodness and my mercy. So this access Paul is talking about is not just an access so that we can come in and out and do whatever we want. It's a responsibility that we have. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I also send you. Matthew 16, 19, Jesus said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. God has given us a responsibility. He's given us the access, and now we have the responsibility to steward prayer in our own life. I want to challenge you to make prayer a priority in your life today. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today, and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.